This is Swampside Chats, a podcast where every week commies from around the country sit down to shoot the shit about history, political economy, current events, and theory. This week, for another news roundup episode, we continue to ponder Trump and Trumpism, look forward to the coming strikes, and touch on such diverse subjects as the deep state, Ted Nugent, and ranked choice voting. I'm Jake. I'm with Communist League Tampa. Joining me tonight is uh, Peter. Hi, Peter Moody from the Red Party. Uh, Cliff. Cliff Connolly with uh, CLT. Donald. Hey, uh, Donald Parkinson, also with CLT. Lexi. What up, Bet? Lexi from Red Party. And Patrick. Uh, hey, it's Patrick from the Red Party. Whoa. So... I got a list of stuff to talk about in terms of uh, current events recently. Let's just start with various Trump stuff because that's what a lot of the news cycle revolves around. Things have slowed down a little bit. It, it hasn't felt, at least for me, as much like a torrent of uh, crazy shit as it was uh, the first couple weeks. Uh, the travel restriction got is getting tied up in the courts. One thing that kind of I saw but didn't even think anything of, and then this was pointed out to me, that's fucked up that I didn't think anything of it was um, at one point, apparently the Trump administration was considering sending troops, uh, National Guard troops, uh, to fight against undocumented immigrants. Yeah. You yeah, also like, talked about sending troops in the Chicago. Like round them up. Yeah. the It was like a draft proposal um, that was uh, submitted, to, I think, from the Department of Homeland Security that they've since distanced, distanced themselves from. But it's one of those things, kind of like the, I guess, the Operation Northwoods, where it's like the fact that they even thought to like draft it up is pretty disturbing. But it's it's kind of fucked up that like the world we live in now is. I heard about this. I didn't even think anything. I'm just like, yeah, you know, that's what that's the world we live in now. That's what it is. Right. But it's actually very disturbing. It's extremely disturbing because all of our fine distinction making of oh, Trump isn't fascism. This isn't fascism. If the Trump administration sent the National Guard after immigrants to round them up. You know, I'd feel like an idiot. Yeah, like I, I would be pretty red in the face because I basically spent like the entire election season basically trolling like other leftists about how Trump wasn't technically a fascist. Fascism is not just state authoritarianism and xenophobia. It's something I think we're dealing with something new here. I think Trumpism is almost an ideal. It's, it's almost a new thing entirely. That's not Bonapartism or fascism. But That's fine. Kind of new. That's I fine. Mean, this turn would warrant the kind of, uh, you know, we were calling it hysterical kind of politi- politic. I mean, you know, if, if that's the kind of reactionary capitalism we're dealing yeah. with. And I agree with you to an extent. It is somewhat of, of a new phenomenon. But the National Guard rounding up immigrants is close enough to fascism. Yeah, like, I would. I wouldn't feel embarrassed because you know, as Futurama taught me, I am technically correct, which is the best kind of correct. You are technically correct, the best kind of correct. 
So yeah, I just don't know what good being technically correct is when there's you know immigrant immigrant concentration camps. Yeah, or something. yeah, it's right. like sort of a really pretentious sort of tendency among certain internet leftist types to like get caught up in like theoretical technicalities and that sort well, of thing. what would that what would that change politically if he did that what would it, how, how would that change our strategy in a yeah my way? opinion is like whether or not trump is a fascist really doesn't change anything or, because as marxist he's still a reactionary rightist who needs to be fought either way like him being a fascist or not really doesn't change that much about what we need to do it's really like what he politically does that guys what we have to do basically so yeah i think the arguments about whether or not this is technically fascism is not necessarily like helpful from either side like at the end of the day if 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 authoritarian capitalism is rounding up immigrants or doing any of these things like the response is exactly the same like you were saying they're basically just using fascism as a derogatory term to describe like um sort of like the reactionary sentiments among the republican party yeah, I mean, I guess I could almost make the argument that arguing whether Trump is a fascist or not is just pointless because it's just a way to divide people over semantics. And really, what matters is that you know he's a he's a reactionary rightist who's in power, who is um you know waging a war on the working class, and that alone is reason enough to disrupt him and fuck with him. Absolutely. But then, but then again, this could be used to rationalize some kind of popular front that would involve like working with clintonites and like the deep state and social democrats and that sort of thing which wouldn't be desirable yeah i'm not well, arguing for an anti-trumpist popular front or anything like that just to make it clear well i wasn't you know i wasn't saying that trump wasn't a fascist to diminish trump or to say that he wasn't dangerous or to be resisted i was merely trying the thing that, that drove me nuts about i mean it didn't even drive me nuts that people called him a fascist is more like the it was just kind of symptomatic of a certain kind of liberal thinking that just you know calls anything it doesn't like a fascist and doesn't have any real strategic orientation except do more of what we're doing now i, I don't think that that certainly wasn't my intention in calling him a fascist to say oh no it's fine it's you know democrats and the republicans are but we can acknowledge that the reason that we're playing the language game of fascism is to have a discussion about what level of resistance is warranted here that's the point of that game that's the whole reason people are marshalling liberals it is but to me it's not because as i said like whether he's a fascist or not doesn't really matter as to what level of resistance is warranted in my opinion resistance to the capitalist state is always warranted because the capitalist state is a protection racket for a property and ruling elite so it's always warranted the capitalist state but and yeah the form changes but what changes is not necessarily what we believe in resisting it but our strategy and right now i think like our strategy before was a general strategy of patience and attrition to build up organizational strength and i think our strategy is still the same right now it's just that we have a, a tougher enemy in in power we also need to be producing media. Hi. I mean, you know, there there is a certain urgency to the moment um, that we didn't have before Trump won, to be honest. Like, I, th- I, think, I think it has changed something. And the level of reaction and, you know, the level of forceful, uh, intrusive executive reaction that we can expect from Trump, I, you know, I do think uh, a classical strategy of, of patience I don't know. It, we have to be we have to be adaptable 
to what's coming. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's not that I think the, it's important how we label it. What's important is if we're capable of responding to a qualitatively different form of reaction than what we're used to. Yeah, but I think what this means is understanding this form of reaction without trying to basically prove that it's analogous to Italian fascism, but understanding it on its new term, on its own terms as a modern, you know, novel creation of capital's systematic crisis, basically. Look, I, I completely acknowledge what you're saying in terms of the etymological discussion and the categorical discussion, but, you know... For liberals, yeah, that is why that fat, that old chestnut has come out. It's not, it's not an analytical point. I'm just saying I don't think it should be like a point of unity that you have to not think Trump is literally a fascist. You know, I'm oh, just no, saying that. I, 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 in my opinion, it's almost best not to make a, an argument over it as far as like uniting people politically. And yeah, it's really just a theoretical. What are we going to do about Trump? Not you know, what are we going to label him as? Yeah, and to the extent that we have to label Trump, it's to understand what he is and what we have to do about him. Well, it, I guess, yeah, on some level, quantitatively, it does. It, in some ways, it does, but in a lot of ways, it doesn't, because a lot of this talk about you know the resistance and so forth just comes down to stuff like you know, go on more protests. Uh, if you're in the government, don't do your job very well. You know, don't be as professional. And like it. it it hasn't really changed like fundamentally a lot of, I guess, liberal thinking about how to handle this, but on another level it has, because you're seeing a lot more like with this whole like CIA thing where that one dude who was like a former NATSEC guy, like tweeted something that the intelligence community is pissed at Trump. And so you got all these people who are like afraid there's going to be some kind of coup. And then you got a bunch of other people who are kind of like, kind of want there to be like a soft deep state coup. Which I guess, you know, it makes sense to kind of be super concerned about that, either if you're really pro-Trump or if you're so anti-Trump that you think he's a fascist, in which case, you know, perhaps like some kind of deep, deep state soft coup would be the best thing that could politically happen right now. Yeah, it's definitely like a weird line for people to be like hoping that the CIA will just take over the country. Yeah, yeah. I think if there was this deep state coup, it would just lead to a, a government more authoritarian than the one we currently have. Right. Yeah, the the CIA has a wonderful record with its coups. You know, it just leads to democracy every time. I was just gonna say the thing that's so ridiculous about it is that I started looking at this story, and there really doesn't seem to be anything to it. It was like one person tweeted something, and then it started off like this huge debate about. I guess there were like those leaks earlier and so on and so forth, but there just doesn't seem like there's always some degree of like interagency, like bureaucratic infighting in the federal government. And there's always like some degree of tension between new administrations and like longstanding, you know, government lifers and, you know, agency men who, you know, who have interests, you know, beyond an individual administration. So it's no surprise that Trump is coming up against some, you know, quote unquote resistance um, within the federal government. But is that really political? I mean, beyond the beyond the kind of normal sort of political interests that longstanding federal institutions have? I don't I don't know. It's yeah. literally like political like uh, the managerial class politic. I mean it's it's like a the it's like Atlas Shrugged or something. I don't know. It's, it's like the middle <laughs> management version of Atlas Shrugged. We're on strike. You know, we're fucking middle management well, bureaucrat middlemen that are completely superfluous and well 
what will what will you do without us? Well, I mean, it's playing into like partisan politics on of the Democratic Party right now. Like, I feel gross saying that. Actually, like, I, I just sounded like fucking like some moderate. Whatever. Okay, just it's true though. You're right. It's sad. Like, yeah, basically, like the Democrats are trying to work hand in hand with like some deep state people and be and government bureaucrats in order to like fuck with Trump and it it's obviously not going to work. Like I don't think Trump Trump is going to have like 8 years. Trump is going to have two terms because the Democrats are completely incompetent and make for a really yeah. shitty late a really shitty resistance. <laughs> you hear, you hear their resistance. Here. Like imagine oh. if Democrats do try something like this. Imagine if they do try some deep state coup. Trump would just use it as an excuse to ramp up levels of repression, basically. Yeah, uh, it, it, would, it could have like it could make things way worse if you think about it. Like it could just mean that Trump decides to basically purge the civil service and replace it with his own cronies even more, which is just yeah, it's 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 not gonna be good if it happens. It's it, well, and that basically that's kind of what I was I was watching. Uh, I was watching our friend Alex Jones earlier today, and he's big on that. Like, oh, there's a deep state counter coup. We've had a coup against the globalists, and there's a deep state counter coup. And, you know, he's freaking out and basically saying, like, yeah, Trump needs to purge these people. He needs to stand up and, like, it's actually kind of interesting um, in, like, tabloid and, like, wingnut right circles. They're basically, they believe that um, Obama has a bunker, like, 2.5 miles from the White House. And he has like thirty thousand activists in his employ, and he's setting up a shadow government to replace Trump uh, in the in the event that uh, he can line up the existing agencies with the government behind him. God, it's I want to. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious. I need to take notes. This Obama guy, he knows this is he's the next level. Yeah, he's you know, he's, so a, he's the next Trotsky. He's the next Trotsky. It sounds like, like he's out. He's now he's setting up his army in the countryside. He's going to begin a protracted people's war against. Uh, but Trump. the real question is: Is George Soros paying him to do this? Oh yeah, he's a part yeah. of it. You bet your ass, he's a part of it. Of course, he's a part. Of it. You know, yeah. parentheses, George Soros. I mean, you yeah. mean George Soros? Apparently, like the Illuminati. You mean Echo? Obama echo is George like set up like this, really? Echo. Echo. Yeah, it's, Obama is like set up like this, like shitty, like nonprofit or whatever. Like, and now they're like every post president does. They set up some shitty nonprofit and maybe they go build houses or something. But they're, they're saying that's that's actually Obama's like shadow government that he's setting up to. Yeah, it's, it's pretty hilarious. Stuff. Well, you know like, what his program is, right? His program is to deal with gerrymandering, which is actually that? would totally be part of the minimum program. Hmm. But I mean, obviously true? by itself, it's not radical. But hey, you know that is that is. Uh, it's that's a worthwhile political cause, I suppose. Yeah, you know, honestly, I mean, would be a pretty great improvement. One of the better things that I think would that probably be a decent electoral reform would be um, ranked choice voting. Like, yeah, that alone would probably actually open up space for third parties, probably uh, pretty rapidly. I know they just they implemented it in Maine for everything except for um, like the federal level. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of skeptical of ranked choice voting, in that, I mean, there's there 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 are a few places globally where it's it's practiced in kind of its purest form, where you you know rank order all your candidates, but you know you you have it 
you you have a limited form of it, I suppose, in France, for example, where you have two rounds. And there, yes, there are more parties represented in your you know in your national assembly and therefore in your government. But I don't think it actually makes politics that much better because it's still you, you still end up for the most part coalescing around two two broad camps of a government and an opposition. And but so, it could create it could create some wiggle room to develop you know political representation outside of the existing two parties though, don't you think? Potentially, yes. Um, but at the same time, I think if I, I, I think if, if if we want to go for so like something like rank choice voting might be like a good compromise in the sense of you know we're, we're we're actually aiming for something that's more purely proportional but right choice voting if like if that ends up coming up then that you know we should we should support it but i don't think it's something that we as communists should necessarily be positively fighting over. yeah like are, we're talking on the state level, right? Because on the federal level, you'd need like basically a revolutionary force in order to get something as pity as fucking ranked choice voting, you know, based right. on how it's structured. So, I mean, if we're talking at the state level, like, you know, sure, that'd be definitely worth doing any kind of, you know, democratic reforms would put us in a better place. You know, anything that empowers the mob over the erudites property holders you know helps communism you know what i mean <laughs> like right like that's the you know if people are going to call us neocouts or something like that it's because we're really into you know democracy actually empowers socialists to make their case and bourgeois freedom really matters when you're trying to advocate for socialism it really matters if you have a, a democratic system like and if you don't you need to get one well, I favor I favor representation by lottery, but that's just me. Well, that's that's another kind of democratic system. It's not necessarily I mean, something yeah. people think of. They think, had, it's I, called sortition. They had enough. I think I think represented representation by lottery is like the best way to do things like for full communism, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's this good article, I suppose. It's fairly long by uh, Moshe Makover. Um, it's. Uh, Democratic decision making and supervision in a communist society, which which talks about uh, sortition as an example of this, and it's uh, on on I, I think he makes some some pretty good arguments where sortition can be used very well for more kind of limited aspects, um, kind kind of like how it's used in the U.S. today, in the into the degree that it is in like jury selection. For making making a decision about some particular cases, um, if yeah. it's used as kind of a long term thing, it could kind of um, redevelop the the redevelop the problems of you know not everyone is interested in politics to the same degree. So if if everything is done based on sortition, there could easily be this trend of the people who the people who are less interested just kind of very passively participating and you know the the know-it-all busybodies like us dominating the whole process yeah i mean th look th there's a lot of problems with direct democracy and it, it but the point is is that um 
we need democratic reforms in order for there to be any hope of a socialist party with a minimum program being remotely relevant. Certainly. And I think like fighting for those reforms is how you build your socialist party. Precisely. By being more than just a labor party, but being a party that fights, you know, against all forms of oppression and exploitation in society. The, the tribune of the oppressed. So uh, do we want to talk about these general strike efforts that are being discussed? That's today? Yeah, well, there was, it was I supposed mean, to be There's today. so many. There's so many. I can't keep track of, you know, when general Wait, strikes actually. Hold on. Was, was there one today? Oh, Yesterday. No, I, without an immigrant. I, I, I mean, I, well, I didn't work at all today, so I'm pretty sure the general strike happened. Like, we did it, guys. <laughs> yeah, I got a... Oh, uh, I, I, I wasn't a good comrade today. I got, like, a soda from, like, the fucking CVS, so I know, I'm sorry, today, comrades. So I'm a bad comrade. I com- I, I completely missed the day without an immigrant thing. Did did anything come of that? <laughs> did anyone, no. Did anyone follow I mean, that? I don't know, but, you know, whatever. Like, that's, that is definitely, that. look, day without an immigrant is a more politically relevant and propagandistically important attempt at a general strike than just a you know crunchy call for a general strike well, yeah, the, one, bro. the one the one they did i think is it started in like 2006 i was actually just reading about this the other day yeah that was a huge one yeah and that was actually you know like that was actually a fairly like successful mobilization yeah and it seems like um the women marching against trump that organization uh they're tr- they called for one recently uh like a women's strike basically uh for about three weeks from now um which i was doing some research i was doing some research into the original like day without an immigrant and they seemed to organize it on a similar time scale like it was they did organize it like a matter of weeks although it was a coalition so i I wasn't able to find out like how much pre-planning there was before the announcement of the event but in any case um i was wondering if anybody had any thoughts on the women's strike and uh you know, because again, the marches were enormously successful, at least in terms of scale, um, and what the prospects for success might be. I know we've talked about something like this before, but uh, maybe we can cover a little bit of it again. Yeah, I think um, I want to touch on the day without an immigrant strike. Hmm. I think um, so. The the one that was supposed to happen yesterday, I guess. I don't know what day it was supposed to happen, but was there a successful strike that anyone knows of? There were some. There were some businesses that did close in yeah. in like New York and Philadelphia um, that that I heard of specifically over the course of the last day. Um, at least part of those were kind of uh, the the decisions of the small business owners themselves to kind of close in solidarity with this thing, and wasn't necessary. It was so in that in that say in that case, I wouldn't call it. Uh, a business being closed due to a strike as such. But at the same time, there's like some of these were immigrant owned businesses, for example. So while, you know, you could say that this, this does kind of speak to the, the contradictions that exist within the immigrant movement, broadly speaking, it's, there is, there is some level where it's, it's, it's encouraging, um, at least from from the perspective of where we have been for the past couple of years. Yeah, I've noticed how apparently um, the official term for it, um, originally they called it, in English they called it the Great American Boycott, 
but in Spanish it was referred to as the Great American Strike. Uh, that was that, that was when they the original one in 2006. But yeah, it looks like it was a lot of um, sort of smaller firms, and sometimes the owners would shut down in solidarity. Well, yeah, I mean, the whole reason you could have a strike like that a day without immigrants is because immigration on a macro scale is due to kind of push economic push factors of displacement, you know, things that push people away from the location. But the pull factors as into where migration leads people is more determined by kind of micro factors like kinship relations. And for example, your cousin has a job with a certain firm in a certain place and you you have a um, people you can go to and they'll hook you up, you know, basically. And so if there's already kind of existing kinship relations and organizations within immigrant communities. And so I think because of that, you could actually pull a general strike of immigrants because there is some, there is like a certain type of like organization that immigrants have that, um, a lot of workers don't have because of just the general um, pull factors of migration. And so I think the women's strike is an interesting idea. And um, the autonomous feminist had similar ideas too in the 1970s. And it would be very interesting to see happen. But I think I don't really, I don't see what the organization what organization exists that could kind of actualize it, whether it's a kind of informal organization, you know, or is if it's a more formal organization. I saw something, and I don't know if this is substantial or like verified or not, um, but I was reading something about how this was originally supposed to be called like the working women's strike. And I guess it eventually got changed to just be calling, to just be called like day without women, or I guess it was supposed to be day yeah. without working women, something like that. Um, but someone pointed out like how, significant that is you know that that it was originally supposed to be united around like class um and that and that aspect was sort of taken out of it yeah i mean i think we need to be and this is you know coming from someone who you know needs feminism and queer theory <clears throat> to kind of justify my existence right um gender politics are in some ways more susceptible to class collaborationism than other kinds of identity politics because let's face it half the bourgeoisie are, are, are women um like that's that's not the case with immigrants like immigrants there's quite a bit of um you know there, there are some you know millionaires i suppose that you know emigrated here for the most part immigrants are really immiserated this you know the same with um people of color more generally Gender politics has this problem, and that doesn't make it any less important, but it's something you gotta be vigilant about. And I think that changeover in name says it all. Oh, I mean, I think it's not just gender politics, but like any politics where there's an extra class form of oppression that you're fighting against invites itself to kind of trans class fronts or whatever. Okay, that's because true. That's true, but but like you know, for for black identity, okay, I, I there is like a thin layer of you know black petty bourgeois and bourgeois, but you know we're still talking about a pretty proletarianized population. I guess yeah, that's so. true, but you still see like a lot of class collaboration in the black movement. No question, so. there's no question about that. I think it's yeah. just like something that's universal to like. I think it's just it's something that 
it's universal to identity politics in general. Well, maybe there's, to be fair, there is class there is class collaboration and class conflict too. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, class identity politics is identity politics. Yeah, exactly. As they say, workerism is the first form of identity politics. <laughs> I think yeah. I, I think we we can't we we you know we can't underestimate that. Like so much of what's wrong right now is the fault of bad Marxism, but you know that was the Marxism that was dominant. That's what existed. When yeah. we say Marxist, that's what people think of. Yeah, so darn you, Well, we thanks, more... Lukacs. <laughs> well, what we need more of is, like, you know, real systematic Marxist approaches to these kinds of oppression that aren't simple, simply waged labor, rather than just simply whining about identity politics. We need to kind of have a better analysis that we can give people, so that basically, where we don't just come off as like, you know, contrarians who don't give a fuck about these issues, but rather, yeah. actually, we have a superior alternative, yeah. you know? Yeah. That's pretty much all Marxism. Yeah. It's, it's funny, you know, it lines up with my class interest as a wannabe academic, you know? Like, I'm always skeptical when that happens, but it's true. So Kid Rock's running for Senate, maybe. Yo. <laughs> um, how do you feel about that? He's a class traitor. I think, think it, so. I think it. I. I don't know. I think that's a great talking point to just explain to people who still believe in American democracy. Like, all you have to say now is, "Oh, you believe in American democracy? Kid Rock is running for Senate. <laughs> uh, Kid Rock's running for Senate. Donald Trump is the president, and you know we're probably gonna have Kanye West in 2020. Ted it's gonna be... be on the fucking Supreme Court. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I could, I could, I could see them putting the nuge up there. Oh God! Um, but uh, <laughs> my God, that Nugent for president would just be a disaster. I, I can't wait to see all like the and, because there'd be like a huge campaign against him and all the women who would come forward and complain of that he gave him cat scratch fever. Oh, but uh, so, uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> kind of pun was that. So, what? That you know the you know the song, right? <laughs> yeah, catch. <laughs> we don't listen to as much dad okay, rock. So anyways, I mean, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, didn't he? Like, there's a yeah, there's a song called "Cat Scratch Fever," and it's basically about getting an STD. Ted. Yeah, also, I think it is. also, he gained like the custody of this underage girl in order to like Ugh. date her and then proceeded to like marry her when she became legal. I thought that was Steven Tyler. Am I thinking so that? No, Ted Nugent did that. I mean, Steven Tyler might have too, but Ted Nugent is like definitely confirmed pedophile. Like, there's no way around that. 
Uh-huh. So we're we're cutting this, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, keep it in. It's it's quality, quality okay. entertainment. Uh, so, yeah. So, so I heard like I wouldn't fuck it. There there, like, there were some names floated about this week uh, for a possible like presidential run in 2020. And it kind of just made me want to kill myself. Oh, here we go. Um. Uh. So Hillary Clinton. No way. No way. Yeah, apparently there was like no there was like some political article about yes, how she's doing queen. it. She, she she hasn't stopped campaigning. She's she's out there still. No. So there was that. And then there was another uh, no. one. Al Franken. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Al like this is like my worst nightmare. Like I can't first of all, like I can't believe that Al Franken's been in the Senate this long. Yeah, that's like, worth, I mean, he that's worth him, reflecting on. To Minnesota because that's where Jesse got elected, you know. And I thought it would be like another kind of novelty thing. I'd be like, yeah, let's make the SNL guy, but he's still in there. And I don't know. I just I associate him so much with like um, mid aughts like era America liberalism. Yeah. Um, but somehow somehow he's still tr- he's still trucking. He's still hanging in there. And some and they might actually put this guy up for president. And uh, if if it's like a debate, if I swear to God, if in two. Who am I kidding? If in nine months we see him and Hillary Clinton on podiums at a fucking debate, I mean, I don't know. I don't know like, what we can put. What, like to complete it, I we need like Kanye West, though. Like, yeah, I mean, that would be better. I mean, that would be like a, an objective improvement. I don't know. Kanye West sounds like he's going to primary Trump in 2020. Oh, that, <laughs> he's a black Republican, don't That's you? A, he has to do that. That's amazing. But but that would be amazing. But he's so woke, guys. He's, he's really shit. woke. But he's on his Trump shit. There there's there's an interesting thing about um, Clinton in 2020, where some point in the past couple of months, there there's a, a few articles floating around, which posited the idea of Hillary Clinton running for mayor of New York City in 2017 <laughs> this year. Um, I guess to unseat Bill De Blasio, who I guess was insufficiently supportive of the Clinton campaign, um, and to it, and it 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 drew out. I think I think this was a New York Times article. Drew out this wonderfully bizarre kind of liberal revenge fantasy against Trump as a like against Trump Tower essentially, where since Clinton it. In, in this scenario of Clinton as mayor of New York City, would be able to control things like zoning laws and whether the streets around Trump Tower got got repaired. And it was just, it was very interesting to me to read this, just to see what level that sections of, of the, sections of the liberal media class would go to to, to 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 continue to put forth this ultimately flawed and failed candidate to actually to actually get what they wanted in 2016 but from their perspective was so cruelly snatched away from them yeah they've they've basically lost their fucking minds at this point like there's <laughs> like what they have there's like this Twitter account that's basically about like LARPing the Clinton presidency 
and it's just like this really really pathetic shit like i follow it on twitter and it's just sad it's not only sad but it's really uncreative like it, it's just this really shitty formula where like They'll respond to something that Trump did by having Hillary Clinton do the exact opposite, and then she'll do, like, a supposedly funny thing, like throw a water balloon at a Republican or something like that. And then they'll ha they'll end it by having Bill Clinton make, like, food or something like that for Hillary Clinton. Oh That's, like, a pretty common, like, Twitter format, because they, they used to do that with, like, TV shows, where it'd be, like, you know... Star Trek Next Generation season eleven, and then you know it would sort of make fun of the show that way. I, I don't know. I don't know how seriously to like take those things, but there definitely is like a whole lot of brain rot going around of people who want to like avenge this thing that never deserved to win to begin with. And then there's a Tim Kane account for doing the exactly same thing with Tim Kane. It's just <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I mean that's that's basically the I'm I'm convinced that that's basically the Democrat strategy here. They're basic. They're gonna like nothing's just, gonna coalesce. Nothing's gonna just, coalesce. They're gonna sit on their hands, and things are gonna get so bad that people are gonna be begging. Liberals are gonna be begging their slightly more radical friends to vote for Tim Kaine. Tim Kaine oh my god, Baudrillard was right. Got Gita Board was right. Adorno was right. It's it it's yeah. so it, it this stuff is so bad. Like this this like. The kind of politics that comes out of uh, fuck it, Nietzsche was right. You know what I mean? Like the kind of politics that comes out of this, this like is is abysmal and and insane. A popular definition of insanity is doing it's the same like, thing over and over. It's like the most boring cult of personality in history. Like say what you will <laughs> about Pope Potter Stone, they had some charm and like ideology behind it. These yeah. people don't have, like, yeah, a coherent they, ideology. They don't have anything but fucking shitty gifts of Hillary Clinton. And, I, I don't and know what. And that's, and that's how Trump got elected, because, like, Trump doesn't have any of those things either, but he knows it. And so he's able to basically play the whole thing as, like, the wrestling arena TV show, reality show that it is. You know, like, the only good part about having a president is getting to, like, watch his press conferences. Where he just goes to like completely like talks shit like in the most ridiculous way. Where I, I saw a little bit of him uh, earlier because they're playing this clip of him on Alex Jones to show how great he is, and he was talking about he's like I'm not talking about I'm not talking about my plans in Iran. I'm not telling you about my plans with Russia. Hey, you know what? No, I don't have to tell you that stuff because I I I'm working on it, and then you're gonna find out later. And then at one point he's like I'm not telling you about North Korea either. You weren't even gonna ask me about North Korea. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you anything about what response I do. I don't talk about military response. I don't say I'm going into Mosul in four months. We are going to attack Mosul in four months. Then three months later, we are going to attack Mosul in one month. Next week, we are going to attack Mosul. God, he's meantime, awesome. Mosul is very, very difficult. You know why? Because I don't talk about military, and I don't talk about certain other things. You're going to be surprised to hear that. And by the way, my whole campaign, I'd say that. Right. So I don't have to tell you. I don't want to be one of these guys that say, yes, uh, here's what we're going to do. I don't have to do that. I don't have to tell you what I'm going to do in North Korea. Wait a minute. I don't have to tell you what I'm going to do in North Korea. I don't have to tell you about that, but I got all kinds of things going on. I don't have to tell you. you know, and it was just like, he was, he was just going off on this reporter and just like brag, yeah, bragging about how, you know, I don't, I don't, have, to, I don't have to tell you anything. Because the old game was, the old game was, you know, You'd go up there, 
and you would basically you would pretend to answer their question but not answer their question right so you have to play this game where, where you know you spin things around and you take what they said and you try you turn it inside out and you give them like a we're working on it we're doing this we're doing that but it doesn't address the main thing his thing is just he gets to make a joke and brag about how he doesn't have to answer their question it's fascinating yeah like like if anything is really charming about trump it's just how he shits all over the media and the just the press in general like no i mean and just, that's that's it, the key of his tr- like the whole like for his bullying of chris christie right like that's what everyone loves about him yeah you know, the like, fact that like i've read somewhere like he would he would he would make chris christie order meatloaf at dinner <clears throat> like he would make him he would oh make him order gosh. meatloaf, or he would like send him out to go get food. Yeah, it's, like it's so ridiculous. I mean, as, as a resident of New Jersey, that does please me on a very visceral level. <laughs> yeah. well, th- I mean, this brings us to—I don't know if you guys saw, but today um, Trump officially labeled specific media organizations as the enemy of the American people. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, who's on that person? list? Okay, so I have the thing in front of me right here. It's like one CommunistLeagueOfTampa.org. <laughs> he says, the we got some bad media, failing New York Times, NBC News, ABC, CBS, and CNN, is not my enemy. It is the enemy of the American people. Ooh. That was his statement. That sounds like some Jacobin-type shit. These <laughs> like, <laughs> are the enemies wrong. of the people that need to be yeah. purged. Is, like, he wrong? Going... is he wrong, people? <laughs> now, he's lying by omission, but is he wrong? Yeah, like, no, he's, he's, not he's, wrong. Wrong. he's correct in the wrong ways. That's what this, is, this is his genius. I mean, this is the reactionary genius. Yeah, this, is what, this is why reactionaries win, because they say stuff that's true, but they say it in such, like, it, but they... We warp it in a way that makes people do fucked up things and justify fucked up things. I mean, you know, in an alternate universe, fucking Trump would just be Rogespierre in the twenty-first century, and it would be beautiful. <laughs> oh Christ, Patrick, don't don't do that. Look, uh, we're gonna make things so safe in this committee. You're not even gonna believe how safe it is. You're gonna <laughs> go outside. Good. It's gonna be great. Wow. <laughs> folks, it's, folks, it's gonna the be are gonna look. be rolling. They're gonna be rolling, folks. Yeah. <laughs> no, look, we got a new device. for guillotine. <laughs> we don't have to hang people anymore. We got a new device. I got top guys working on this. Okay, it's gonna cut it off. It's not gonna feel any pain. It's enlightened. It's progressive. It's of the future. It's gonna Jesus be marvelous. Oh, I hate everything. I can't <laughs> do a good Trump impression. I can't either. Uh, yeah, none of us can. It's not the point. I don't know. The way I look at Trump and a lot of this stuff is just this complete subsumption. It's like the real subsumption of the state to value or whatever you want to call it. Like it's yeah. it's the capitalist accumulation process is subsuming the state at like an even deeper level than before. And so now it's basically just more like it's it's basically just deciding to kind of discard a lot of the mirages that it's something neutral from society now and it's just becoming a pure state for capital do you think that's why Kleiman's so freaked out about it like that's like, interesting yeah i think i don't know i don't know what climate is so freaked out about because like the marxist humanist association is not a threat to the u.s state security so <laughs> yeah you know i yeah. i get it i get it from a paranoid like new york jew perspective like yeah, you yeah, know you've made your peace with the goy but what if one day they start doing that thing again? Yeah. Like, 
And I mean, that's yeah. kind of delusional, but that, that does pop up in the Jewish New York culture. And, uh, you know, Kleiman has been very generous with his time with me and, you know, in, on an interpersonal basis, one-on-one mm-hmm. has been very kind and, 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 you know, uh, patient. <laughs> um, and he definitely reminds they they totally remind me of like an old, you know, just there's like the Jewish grandpa and, and, and grandma in, in New York. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, don't, I, I, I just I, I see it online sometimes, like because I always associated him with being almost what I kind of liked about him was that he was almost really like rigidly economistic and to see him kind of like turn yeah. to this like high level of like hyper political determinism. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to understand where that turn came from. Yeah, I mean, that's his I mean, phrase, right? annoyed by political it, determinism. I that think, was a really well, bad. Well, fear just means leader. I mean. well, it's not. It's not a joke because it's. It's. Uh, it's. It, it is a looming threat. It's. It's not likely, but you know, people are justifiably. I mean, yeah. I think what Trump would need to become Fuhrer Trump, he would need some kind of mass movement from below to yeah. fight against the resistance that would emerge to, to that happening. So I think like. I think, yeah, I don't think Daddy Trump has become Fuhrer Trump necessarily very easily. I mean, the, there, there are pieces in place that could come into play, like the border militias and all that shit, you know, could possibly, if you wanted to activate that element. But the problem is, like, the U.S. the US state is so powerful and has such a powerful military apparatus that he would probably be more likely to, you know, do the thing with, uh, like we were talking about at the beginning of this, with send the National Guard out to sort of do his bidding. Um, but even that he seems to be kind of discarding and, you know, reconsidering at this point. Um, well, I think it's probably because there's elements of the military bureaucracy that really don't like Trump and are really loyal to Obama and Clinton and, you know, that whole circle, because basically the, dem- the, the military is actually like pretty loyal to Obama and pretty liberal. And um, at least the higher command. Yeah. At the high levels, you know. And so I think Trump is going to have a lot of trouble getting the National Guard and getting the military to do a lot of that stuff because there is a lot of um, loyalty to the Democrats from the military bureaucracy. So who would win in a coup there? You know, like, I don't know, like bong grip crank scenario. Like, let's say liberals aren't completely spineless law and, you know, they launch the deep state coup with the CIA or something. And the sympathetic generals, and they go Pinochet. You know what I mean? Like, who wins? Not humanity. Well, obviously, but you I, know, I, I, I don't, think, so I don't like, know enough about like the players at like the top military level to get. I mean, are you guys saying like who would be the Pinochet or like who would be the which political grouping would like we reap the reap the benefits of this coup or? Yeah, exactly. Like, like how the hell? I mean, I don't know. It's yeah. total fantasy, honestly. Like, but it's a I fantasy that's on everybody's minds right now. I think yeah. what would happen was you would have Trump booted out and, like, the state would become even more kind of Bonapartist, dictatorial, like it's becoming. But Trump will be taken out. And I think what – I think the thing that Trump, like I was saying before, to really, like, defeat the state, he would have to have some kind of extra paramilitary organization of his own that's not – um, completely already connected to the state bureaucracy. So basically, yeah, I mean, he would have to become a fascist. <laughs> I mean, you get, yeah. you get the yeah. portion that you can, that gets painted of his administration is that it's it's very it's very dysfunctional. They're kind of breaking decorum in a lot of ways. But 
I really question how much he can really because he doesn't he isn't obviously things are getting kind of crazy right now, but the level of like social unrest I think that would be needed to justify a full on coup would be pretty extreme. Like a, you might get at most like a soft coup where you know right now different sections of like different agencies are like having meetings, you know, at somebody's house and they're sitting around going, okay, how can we, how can we contain the damage here? How can we make sure he doesn't do any of this and that? Like push for but, impeachment maybe. Um, but, and at the most like, cause even if you look at like his foreign policy, like I don't see how it's really that different from, I mean, there's a lot of innuendo about his relations with Russia and this and that, but I don't understand like how he's going to continue to antagonize Iran, bolster Saudi Arabia oh. And main and re and somehow in the midst of this reset relations with Russia well, in terms of foreign policy. I mean, I mean, I guess he could. I guess he could neuter NATO to an extent, but even that, he seems to be walking back. I don't know. Well, I mean, liberals are talking about like having this sort of soft coup, like somehow impeaching Trump and Pence and Paul Ryan all at the right. same time. Like that, I, I don't even think that's constitutionally possible definitely not constitutionally possible and having some kind of election afterwards in order to have like Hillary Clinton beat out whoever the Republicans decide decide to run, which I, I don't know who they would decide to run in this weird fantasy because, you know, they would be implicated with working with the Russians because, <laughs> you know, it's a fantasy land. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're pretty much losing their minds like collectively right now and hallucinating this this sort of impeachment fantasy this coup fantasy well and i i kind of said this three years ago like i knew i knew hillary Hinton, i knew Clinton, i predicted that clinton would run she'd get the nomination and she'd probably lose and what we're seeing now basically kind of mirrors what happened when obama was elected like we're probably going to get some liberal version of the tea party if the liberals even have the courage to do that um, but we're getting like when Obama won, like there was a lot of this weird, like nativist, like he's not one of us. He's this secretly this or that, you know, like the whole birtherism thing. Like a lot of this, there's, there's a lot of like parallels, um, to the sort of tea party moment on the part of the Republicans, uh, with some big differences, of course. Um, yeah, the, the big difference between like birtherism and the whole Russian conspiracy thing is like the deep state is feeding into it, which is extremely concerning. It's incredibly concerning. It makes I mean, you I don't wonder. Really, I don't really know how much of it there actually is to that. I think it's. it's I, I mean, I think there's probably there's probably more to the Russian stuff than there is to birtherism, but at the same time, I think politically it doesn't really. It gives it's like a talking point that because like they were making this kind of complaints, you know during the election and they still lost so the this actual probably like happens all the time honestly like the hacking and and trying to interfere with elections yeah like, it, oh, that's yeah just, well, again, i'm not denying the mission like i'm not, not yeah i know you're not denying that patrick it's it's i i, I totally hear what you're saying so i i, I think the, the the comparison with uh the tea party is somewhat interesting uh in that so I, I I don't know if, if this analysis is it, it is widely held, but I, I I tend to think that that the Tea Party was in many respects a it was more a reaction to the Bush presidency, a right wing reaction to the Bush presidency than to Obama. Huh. So but, more analogous to like Occupy then. Kind of yes, but it like and it was. Particularly in regards to the um, 
like when the economic crisis really started to hit in 2007, 2008. And that's when this, this idea of the, the Tea Party really started to begin. It didn't really get mainstream um, press and mainstream attention until like 2009, 2010, when it was kind of cynically used by, by the Republican leadership to, to beat down the, the Obama administration. I don't see an analogous thing happening now. The closest thing maybe is with the Sanders campaign, where you, using um, like using universal health care as, as an example, that's that that's an instance where the Obama the Obama presidency pretty clearly failed on a promise, um, though obviously they wouldn't see it that way, and if. If this and and it seemed like one of the, one of the big pushes by the Sanders campaign was for some sort of universal health care system, Medicare for all. Right, exactly. A good slogan, a very good slogan for the United States. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't like. I don't see that movement. First, I don't see it as being as strong now as the Tea Party was because I don't think the left liberal reaction to the Obama presidency was has been as strong as the Tea Party, the proto Tea Party reaction to the Bush presidency. And I, I don't think that the, well, I, it remains to be seen, certainly, whether the Democrats will be able to, or the Democratic leadership will be able to cynically use that to regain power, at least some sort of power in 2018 or 2020, like the way that the Republican leadership used the Tea Party. I think that I, 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 so I think that's something to potentially look for over the next couple of years. So a, a new Gallup poll says that Trump's uh, job approval rating is 21 points below the average at the one month mark. So that's pretty significant. That individual no, he, no, yeah, he, he does, he does, does he, say something. He does not have a mandate. He does not have an electoral mandate. And Obama did. Um, Obama did have a mandate. And that's the kind of reaction we saw. The Tea Party was a reasonably strong reaction. And, you know, the bitter irony, the Hegelian cunning of history is the, the Tea Party, were, were, they were using like uh, rules for radicals and Saul Alinsky and uh, new left tactics against the left to, you know, and it worked like for a little bit. It did something. And honestly, that whole crowd and um, even literally Steve Bannon's support of Sarah Palin um, that stuff prefigured the rise of Trump. That was the first attempt at this kind of politics. Um, yeah, so I think that the, uh, the right has taken this whole conspiracy theory of cultural Marxism and really fixated on it and convinced themselves that it's true that like small, like Marxist sects and Marxist elites have like successfully subverted society culturally. And so now they're trying to mimic that tactic and do the same thing. And I think ultimately they're going to fail but it shows like it, it kind of shows a similar kind of it's almost a similar kind of strategy trying to wage like a culture war and not use um, traditional party politics in a way. They're having some success. Yeah, well, yeah, they're they're going to have a little bit of success, and I hope it ends up the same way that it the the s slow dragging of the left through through the halls of academia ended up with their politics being watered down and 
just fucking useless upper middle class activist types just shitting all over it. Like, that's <laughs> what I hope. That's what I hope. <laughs> that's the um, thing. If they actually, their, their own tactic is I, like they think that this works because of their stupid conspiracy mindset, but it doesn't. And so that's well, why they're going to lose. Yeah, no 20 longer. years in the future, we're yeah, going to be called. We're going to be talking about cultural Nazism, you know? <laughs> remember when hey. Pepe was a, uh, remember when Pepe was a new swastika? <laughs> uh, I yeah, don't know. I'll never forget where I was when Hillary, Hillary Clinton made the pe- great Pepe speech of 2016. <laughs> she yeah. bravely stood up, she bravely stood up to the growing fascist, frog-based, shitty drawing internet menace that was subverting our institutions and undermining our democracy. Yeah. Um, oh boy! I mean, it's it's almost like, but in this case, it actually is true about the far right is trying to subvert culture and making an active, yeah. like concerted effort to kind of subvert oh. things. And oh, just so imagine the shit. It's worse. <laughs> it just imagine works. the, sh- just imagine the shitty academic papers, and that analyzing fucking anime in the future. Just imagine that it's gonna yeah, be my, beautiful. Yeah, my my little pony is gonna be like a foundational text to like all of this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but Lexi like, does have a point that it does. That it, Lexi does have a point though that it has kind of worked. Like they have. I mean, kind actually, of. It's yeah. It's very kind. But again, of, they can't. They can't. They, 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 they can't fix capitalism. Bit. Yeah, they can't I'm, fix capitalism. But they did move the Overton window, whatever you want to call it, to the right. They did make far right extremism more palatable for a lot of but people. But why? Why? Because people say "cuck" now as, as like a joke. No, I don't know. Just play, just play Grand Theft Auto Five. That's that's all I gotta say. Listen to the talk radio on Grand Theft Auto Five, and also go on the servers of Grand Theft Auto Five. It's just some. It's like Grand Theft Auto Five. Totally, you know, this is a commodity. It's just it's like a game, you know. But it's also this weird social arena where you see a lot of interestingly reactionary politics coming out um, in, in a kind of South Parky pseudo counterculturally way. And isn't it, isn't I, that like the game that like was the first game where you could like kill hookers and steal their money? Yeah, like yeah. A video game. I mean, it, yeah, yeah. But it, I think it's. it's I think some it's of it, telling, like, I mean, it's always kind of like that. I mean, it's a telltale cu- cultural artifact. I mean, it's, but it's, it's just. Uh, I don't know. It, it yes, it's always had that kind of feel. I'm not saying. I don't know. I remember in 2011 when I was like researching like the far right and found out about the cultural Marxism conspiracy. I never would have thought that like normie high school kids would be talking about that kind of stuff anytime soon. But now yeah. I'm I'm serious. Like. That's high school kids in the suburbs are talking about cultural Marxism during lunch break and talking about how it's subverting their video games and how feminism is really why they can't get a girlfriend. And like these ideas really are like blossoming almost spontaneously amongst like a certain strata of society. Well, I, I kind of blame YouTube and like fucking people like Sargon of the Sargon of Akkad and like all these soft YouTube these like sort of alt light people for that like basically they acted as the gateway drug to like the alt right and like, so, like placated uh, michael rechtenwald yeah basically <laughs> like the, they basically like fucking fed into the psycho sexual fucking pathologies of teenage boys but yeah some of that's probably also you know um, and like older, they still have like a, they're still young, and they have like this antagonistic relationship towards girls. And so like the girl, the teenage girls get into like feminism through Tumblr, so they have to like come right. up with something to be like, "You're dumb," you know, "Are you triggered yeah. now? You like that?" You know. Yeah. Well, that's what it comes from. It comes off as it starts out as revankism against feminism, 
And then right. as and from there it, it becomes worse and worse and worse. I mean it already starts off as shit, but then you slowly start getting into fourteen eighty eight Hitler did nothing wrong, Keck. Like <laughs> Right, right. It's Yeah, it's, what isn't it kinda of like an alliance between like shit posting teenagers and then like older people who actually believe that stuff who want to recruit them to Yeah. You know, like just get, get like into it for reels. It's kinda of like the left, right? Yeah. Yeah, like you could see like analogy to like weird Facebook and how like fucking um there's like weird tankies trying to use it to recruit uh dumb teenagers into um their politics. I think the whole yeah, I mean, the thing is that like dumb tankies have been doing the same shit for a while. And the right has oh, yeah. actually kind of found like a new strategy. It's like they finally discovered like Gramsci and realized, hey, we can do the same thing just for fascism. And like they somehow they didn't really realize that like cultural Marxism is a real thing. It's, it's done a pretty horrible job at destroying capitalism. Wow. What an episode, huh? You liked it? We're still working at it. Uh, every episode, I feel like we're learning a little more and getting a little better as broadcasters and podcast-based entertainers. We're on YouTube now uh, to try to compete against the uh, deeply entrenched reaction that is set up on that particular format. So maybe go check us out over there and give us a thumbs up on the uh, different videos that we post. We'd certainly appreciate it. Uh, we'd also appreciate it if you refrain from informing the Ted Nugent estate or any of the owners of the IP that we use for that particular drop uh, mid-show. Uh, I'm pretty sure it falls under fair use, but I'm not 100% on that. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. And we'd like to keep it up on SoundCloud, so keep that on the down low. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about the second half of the Communist Manifesto and a little bit about Kotsky and his analysis of it uh, that he wrote in 1901. So stick around for that. And until next time, keep your keep your boots clean, your feet out of the swamp, and your head in the revolutionary clouds of tomorrow. <laughs>